0: This is an
1: APTA podcast. Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Roger Herr, president of the American Physical Therapy Association, and thanks for joining us. This conversation is the first in a series of podcasts that I hope will provide insight to the ways APTA's activities directly support our new four year strategic plan. It's essential for organizations to have a clear roadmap for what they want to achieve, including goals that challenge us to make significant change. But that big change doesn't happen overnight. Pursuit of our revolutionary goals requires day-to-day work by our member volunteers and national staff. That's what I hope our conversation Conversationist podcast will be about. One of the four pillars in our strategic plan is the goal of ensuring that physical therapy profession is sustainable in the long term, which includes increasing payment, reducing the cost of education, and strengthening provider health and well-being, among other targets. Our advocacy work is key to accomplishing this goal. So today we're going to talk about advocacy, but instead of focusing entirely on the high profile advocacy issues, my guests in this podcast will share some examples of how APTA is working towards the sustainability of the profession in other ways that don't always grab the headlines of our communication to members. To help me do this, I'm joined by Justin Elliott, APTA Vice President of Government Affairs, Kate Gillard, APTA's Director of Health Policy and Payment, and Alice Bell, Senior Payment Specialist at APTA. Welcome all. Justin, I'm gonna start with you. Many of us are familiar with a high profile advocacy like cuts in the physician fee schedule and the PTA differential, but we're talking on some other issues too. We want to take a look at some of those, perhaps less well-known issues that we're working on. What are some of those advocacy areas and what are we doing in those spaces?
2: A lot of focus is often put on what's going on in Capitol Hill and Congress and uh, issues related to Medicare. But what folks may not know is there's actually a lot of activity and advocacy efforts happening at the state level with APTA state chapters engaged in advocacy with their state legislatures. Of course, now we are in the middle of the 2022 state legislative uh, season, so our state chapters are engaged from everywhere from Sacramento to Tallahassee to Richmond to Austin, and a number of state chapters are pursuing legislation aimed at payment issues that impact uh, physical therapy and the patients we serve. Uh, These are bills that have everything to do with from fair PT co-pays to reining in prior authorization and utilization management to their state Medicaid uh, programs. And so a lot of activity uh, that our state chapters are doing. And to help our state chapters and coordinate these efforts, earlier this year, APTA created a new toolkit for our state chapters. It's the State Payment Advocacy Toolkit. And this toolkit uh, provides model bills that state chapters can introduce in their state capitals to help address a wide range of payment issues that they're seeing in their states. Again, everything from prior authorization to the copay issue uh, to telehealth payment, you name it. And so I would urge folks to check out to see what, what's going on with their state chapter in terms of payment advocacy, because there's a lot, there's a lot going on at the state level. And there's a lot of, uh, lot of ways that members can be engaged at the state level when it comes to payment advocacy. But in addition, we also know uh, that every day our members are dealing with frustrations uh, with payers. And so APTA, and the private practice section came together to create new, a new suite of materials to help individuals succeed with payment advocacy. This is a brand new member benefit for APTA members, and you can access it via the APTA website, apta.org main landing page. You'll see a link to the State Payment Advocacy Resource Center, also known as SPARC, on the SPARC website you'll see that it's a one-stop shopping for resources to help you advocate uh, with commercial payers or met your state Medicaid program on issues like prior authorizations, utilization management hassles, telehealth, appeals, et cetera. And so these resources were put together in collaboration with the private practice section. They are open access to all APTA members and are there to, again, provide assistance and tools uh, to individual practitioners to deal with the commercial payment challenges and Medicaid challenges you may be having in your state.
1: Thank you, Justin. And thank you for the insight on what's happening on state uh, where individuals are getting involved and the collaboration with the private practice section as some examples. As you know, we can't forget at any given time, there are certain issues at the center of our federal advocacy work. Right now, the PTA differential and the workforce diversity are two issues. Can you tell us more what's happening in those areas?
2: Sure. Well, let's first start with the PTA payment differential, which went into effect on January 1st. Uh, APTA has um, legislation in the U.S. Congress called the SMART Act, uh, introduced by Congressman Bobby Rush, a Democrat from Illinois, and Congressman Jason Smith, a Republican from Missouri. Uh, Now, this uh, bipartisan legislation is aimed at mitigating the impact of both the PTA and the OTA payment uh, differential. And it would do three things. First, it would temporarily pause the uh, payment differential. Second, it would provide an exemption to the payment differential for PTAs and OTAs for rural and underserved areas. And that's important because rural and underserved areas are having big issues with workforce. And then finally, it would address a long-standing issue that APTA has had with Medicare, and that is the current overly burdensome requirement of direct supervision of PTAs. It would change it to be general supervision so that PTAs would be able to work at the top of their license. Now, that legislation, uh, again, is is gaining co-sponsors and momentum in the House. We hope to have a Senate companion bill introduced in the US Senate uh, in the very near future. And again, we're looking at ways that we can build momentum and get this bill uh, attached to any of the larger legislative packages that Congress will have to enact before the end of this year. On workforce diversity, uh, we've seen momentum uh, first on the House side, Uh, our workforce diversity legislation, uh, again, being led by uh, Congressman Bobby Rush of Illinois, that legislation passed uh, uh, back in December the powerful House Energy and Commerce Committee and is now awaiting a vote by the full U.S. House. Now, on the Senate side, uh, the Senate uh, companion to the Allied Workforce Diversity Bill was recently added to a larger legislative package. Uh, Back in March, Uh, Senator Murray of Washington and Senator Burr of North Carolina introduced a massive legislative package known as the Prevent Pandemics Act, Senate Bill 3799. And this bill uh, is addressed to uh, providing uh, additional resources uh, for pandemic response, including addressing issues with the healthcare workforce and health disparities uh, that we've seen as a result of the pandemic. Included in the Prevent Pandemics Act, they included the language from the Senate bill of the Allied Health Workforce Diversity Act. So that bill has been rolled into the larger Prevent Pandemics Act. And that Prevent Pandemics Act did pass the Senate Help Committee, and again, is now awaiting action by the US Senate. So we're seeing good momentum in both the House and the Senate on the Allied Health Workforce Diversity Act. And we're you know, continuing to build momentum in hopes of seeing getting this bill across the line before the end of the year.
1: Thank you, Justin for all that information. Kate, I'm going to turn to you next. Uh, We all know that advocacy doesn't just happen on Capitol Hill. APTA is involved at the regulatory level as well, particularly with CMS or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Holds a lot of power over what PTs and PTAs can do and get paid for within Medicare. Medicare, in turn, has an impact on what commercial payers do too. Just like the legislative and policy arena, we have big issues, the fee schedule, payment systems for skilled nursing facilities and home health as examples. But there's much more to our efforts than that. So I pose to you a question similar to Justin, what are we at the table in other facets of regulatory process? What should members be aware of?
3: Thanks, Roger. Um, I know a lot of members most often think about regulatory when it comes time to submit comments on the fee schedule. That's usually when you hear what we're doing the most. Um, we try and get folks involved as much as possible, but, I do wanna make it clear that we are working year round on issues just because it may not be front page headlines doesn't mean that we are not still addressing these issues. So I have a handful of examples for you. Um, For instance, we've had a number of meetings with CMS already this year. Um, They're currently drafting the 2023 fee schedule, and we have had uh, or tried to have as many uh, touch bases with them as possible so we can sort of plant seeds of ideas in their minds as they draft the fee schedule. So um, the more uh, interaction we have with them as they're drafting it, the more likely the things that we want will be included in the proposed rule and will actually have a chance to be finalized so that you will actually have an opportunity to comment for things you like instead of just things you don't like. Um, So that's one example. Um, We also recently had a meeting with the Centers for Disease Control, which was really interesting. Um, They re-released their milestones for development. And a lot of our members were really concerned that a milestone on crawling was removed. So we wanted to make sure that we had a touch base with them to make sure they were aware that we were a resource to make sure that we had a common understanding of why that decision was made. And so that we could uh, work on messaging together. And at the end of the day, we were in agreement that the reason the crawling milestone was removed had nothing to do with whether or not crawling or mobility was important, but more to do with the fact that it's just too difficult a measure to distill down into a single milestone. And the point of that document is to provide easy guidance for parents. And crawling is just too complex. Some kids scoot around on their bottom. You know, Um, they don't necessarily crawl. So that was an awesome meeting, and we are going to continue to work more closely with the CDC in the future. Another interesting thing we've been working on that not a lot of folks have heard about is that we submitted a proposal for a MIPS value pathway. This is really exciting because, as some of you may know, CMS is already planning the next stage of MIPS. That's the value-based payment model under Medicare. And we were kind of left out of the first version of MIPS because there were no cost measures. um, We couldn't do promoting interoperability. So APTA wanted to make sure that we were in the driver's seat for MVPs. And that's why we went ahead and submitted an application on low back pain. We're hopeful this will be an easier and, frankly, more profitable way for physical therapists to participate in Medicare.
1: Thank you for those examples in these other advocacy arenas. We also rely on our members to provide expert insight around regulatory policy. Could you talk a little bit about some of the roles our members have taken on?
3: Yeah, that's a really good point to make. Um, APTA tries to get physical therapists and physical therapist assistants at the table when important decisions are being made. And one of the main ways we do that is by nominating our members to serve on technical expert panels and committees that are convened by federal agencies. Um, Now, these panels and committees are really sort of like expert focus groups. Um, They could be on a value-based payment model. They could be on measures. They could be on um, a number of other things, but we wanna make sure that our best and brightest members have an opportunity to participate. And so we have recently had some some good successes with getting people actually appointed to these roles. Um, We've had folks appointed to a uh, skilled nursing facility, value-based payment model, technical expert panel, um, a uh, panel on patient safety measures, and even the panel that is creating the low back pain cost measure, which is a cornerstone of that MVP that I talked about earlier. Um, so, if folks want to get involved in this, um, go to APTA Engage. That's the number one way we find uh, the folks who are qualified for these um, panels, and, and we'd be more than happy to get more and more folks available, more folks in our pool of potential nominees, so that we can get PTs in uh, important roles, in important decision-making roles uh, with the federal government.
1: Kate, thank you for those examples and how members can get engaged in that process. Of course, there's a whole other area in which we're involved in advocacy and payment and other issues. That's with the commercial payers. Alice, I wanted to wrap up this podcast by hearing from you. The notion of advocacy for the profession is a little different in the commercial environment, isn't it? Can you share some insights on that?
0: It absolutely is, Roger, and thank you so much. Some of that variability is just the sheer volume of private insurers. In 2020, there were nearly 6,000 private insurance payers in the country. When you look at that sheer volume and variability, there's a need to address each payer and often many plans under the payer. The other thing is that private payers are for-profit entities that are selling a product. And that product is being sold either to individuals or to group purchasing entities or to employers. Employers play a big role in what the products look like when individuals come to us and and present with a need for care. About 50% of individuals in the U.S. are covered in terms of insurance under their employer. And the employers often identify what they specifically want in insurance product. They identify what the particular risks of their work population is and they target certain benefits to a greater or lesser degree based on the population that they're offering benefits to and based on the costs they're trying to control. So that means that when we're working on advocacy in the commercial payer space, We're really looking to leverage relationships um, with the large national payers who have a greater reach and can impact for more of our members, but also supporting our member volunteers also at the local level with some of the small local payers and helping them develop relationships where they can advocate. The other thing is that because of antitrust laws, APTA isn't able to solicit what payment rates are that different providers have, and providers can't share those payment rates. So when we look at payment rates specifically, that's really a negotiation between the individual provider and the payer, and it's not something that we can actually influence. What we can influence are things like the administrative burden on providers and the overall coverage of physical therapy and recognition of physical therapy as a valued benefit in an insurance plan. So we've worked very hard to look at payer policy, to look at trends in payer policy, to have regular meetings with um, decision makers and influencers at the payer level, to advocate for reduction in that administrative burden, to look for ways to make care delivery more efficient. And to also solve problems as they arise. So often members reach out to us and they see something happening with a pair and we're able to leverage our relationships, investigate what might have caused a trend in certain types of denials or a higher level of scrutiny around certain claims and work to resolve some of those issues and make things easier for our members.
1: Well, thank you. What are the trends you're seeing in the commercial environment, and how are we bringing the profession's voice to the conversation around those trends?
0: So there are many trends, Roger, um, but I'll highlight a few. One of them is related to this whole administrative burden, and we've seen over many years, and particularly since the Affordable Care Act and the kind of medical loss ratio loophole, many commercial payers either partner with or actually acquire entities that are considered third-party administrators. And these entities can develop all sorts of policies that really make it challenging for providers on both the prior authorization side as well as the utilization management side. We don't see that going away, um, but we also see great opportunities in the shift to value-based payment uh, for a reduction on that in, in that burden for many providers. And some of that involves things like gold carding or tiering of providers, where those providers who are really performing very well in a network um, get exempted from some of these burdensome activities like prior authorization or intensive utilization management. So that trend toward, um, toward tiering or gold carding is a really important one. The overall trend with third party administrators means that at the advocacy level, we not only have to work with the payer, we also have to work with these these TPAs and create lines of communication uh, and opportunities for finding ways to not have every provider pay for the small percentage of providers who may be abusing the system or not submitting claims in an appropriate manner. Right now there's kind of this broad brush that if they sense that there's any problem, every provider has to jump through these crazy hoops. So we're really trying to get to a place where we can differentiate providers and only have those burdensome rules apply to those that are having some questionable practices. The other trend we're seeing is kind of this meeting of the payer and retail environment. We saw this to the largest extent in the CVS acquisition of Aetna, um, where now we have a large um, retail pharmaceutical company that owns a very large national insurer. Um, And we're seeing it in the partnership between Humana and Walmart, where we're really seeing these entities start to come together, these more integrated systems. Obviously with Aetna and CVS and with Humana and Walmart, The focus is really on um, pharmaceuticals and trying to control the cost of drugs, but we expect we'll continue to see this in other areas. Um, More integrated health systems where providers and payers are um, working uh, with some of the same incentives and more aligned incentives. And then I would say the final big trend that we're seeing right now is in the digital health arena, um, which is just massively grown as a result of COVID. Uh, so it, it's been there for a long time. There's been um, an interest and a desire to expand the impact of technology and healthcare, But this has just blown up where we've seen the market, for example, in our artificial intelligence, which was about $6.9 billion in 2021 and is anticipated to grow to about $67.4 billion by 2027. So there's a lot of private equity being infused into technology and it's going to impact um, payer policy. It's going to impact payment overall um, and there's gonna be challenges. So in the digital health arena, APTA is looking at, you know where does digital health impact PT practice? where is it an opportunity, where can it enhance what we're doing, and where is it also a potential threat where we may have issues of some digital entities that are coming out there and purporting to be equal to or better than physical therapy. And we have to look at things like term and title protection and how do we create kind of um, guardrails around some of these entities and make sure that they don't challenge the viability of physical therapy.
1: Thank you, Alice. We hope everyone listening to this podcast can see that APTA is working towards the long-term sustainability of our profession. And it's much more than just advocating for certain pieces of legislation or responding to proposed regulation. It's an ongoing effort that pushes us to get involved at multiple levels, and it never stops. I want to thank my guests today, Justin Elliott, Kate Gillard, and Alice Bell, for the insights they provided. I hoped we shed some light on the range of ways APTA is working for you, our members. I'm APTA President Roger Herr. My plan is to host discussion like this about once per quarter. If you have any feedback or questions, you can direct them to board, B-O-A-R-D, at apta.org. Thank you for listening.
0: This is an APTA podcast.